All right, good morning, Alethea. My name is David, for those of you who don't know me. I am one of the deacons here at the church. Um, if you have kids, this is the time where the Alethea Jr. Um, people are right there in the front to my right. So if you have kids, send them that way. They'll be well taken care of. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm one of the deacons here every single time. This is now the third time I've gotten the opportunity to preach at Alethea Church, and I'm always just thankful for the elders' commitment to um, just giving, giving us opportunities to use our gifts within the, the church body, which is pretty convenient because it's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, so just as a brief recap, if you're new here today, we want to say welcome um, and just kind of let you know we've been going through the letter of 1 Corinthians for now a few months. So if you do not have a scripture journal, th this is our free gift to you. Raise your hand. We'll, we'll get one to you. Um, it has a, a space in there for you to be able to take notes and follow along. We are currently already in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. So just to give you guys a quick recap of what we've already seen and what we've seen today, um, we've, we've been seeing this big trend of unity as a, a big trend in the letter, right? Unity, first we saw in relations to just how we re interact and, and, and work within our lives and, and spheres of life outside of the church. So we saw things like lawsuits and should you eat food that is uh, sacrificed to idols? And, and Theo kind of explained a better idea of what that looks like in today's day and age. And in the past few chapters, the focus has transitioned to how that concept of unity is to work out within the corporate gathering. That is us right here as a church uh, relating with one another. And so Daniel Espy uh, talked about communion and how that is supposed to look like in light of scripture. And then Kevin hinted and talked a little bit about spiritual gifts. And, and so in today's message, we're going to kind of continue that. Um, that same idea and, and dive a little bit deeper of what this practically looks like. Because what, what we already just read and what we'll see this morning is that Paul is trying to use this, this analogy of the human body to help the Corinthian church see two things. One, the severity of what separating or dividing up the body of Christ is, um, and then also to help them see that the unity within the church um, and what that should look like in regards of spiritual gifts. So I'm going to go over three major points. The first being that our unity as a church comes through the Holy Spirit. The second is that because we are all parts of the body of Christ, all members are valuable. And lastly, we will see that you are a member of the body of Christ. Before we get started, we're going to just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, for your guidance for your word. I pray that today we can leave here convicted and encouraged, knowing that we are part of your body and, and willing and, and desiring to use our gifts to build up the church and to make much of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, so let's jump right in, verses 12 and 13. So I'm going to reread those for us. It says, For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, 
and all were made to drink of one spirit. So we see this same language used in the first 11 verses of the chapter, and we see the, the same narrative continuing of diversity of spiritual gifts, yet unity through the giver of the gifts, which is the spirit, right? And I want to make the point that this isn't just something isolated for the Corinthian church. In fact, if you go to Romans 12 with me, if you have time this week, open up your Bible and have uh, Romans 12 open and 1 Corinthians 12 open, and just feel free to go back and forth, and you're going to get a broader look of what this body of Christ um, analogy is, is supposed to be conveying to us. But I'm going to go back and forth uh, a few times within my, my sermon, but I encourage you to do that on your own as well. In Romans 12, 4, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So this concept of the church supposed, supposed to be um, believers, made up of believers with many different gifts and being different, yet being united by the Holy Spirit is not something that was just for the Corinthian church. We see it throughout scripture and it is applicable for us today. And, and this is actually this, this idea that we are, what, what unites us is the spirit and, and not anything else is something that sets the church apart, right? So there are other religions and other groups that it, there's unity, but there can be no diversity, right? Like we're all united because we all root for the same sport team or we all, like everybody has to be the same, right? Or there's the other extreme where it's like, well, we don't need unity. Everybody can just do whatever they want. Who cares, right? And so the church is supposed to be different in that we are supposed to welcome diversity in the sense that like people are going to have different giftings than you. They're going to be different. And what's going to actually unite us is the fact that we have the Holy Spirit. I mean, look at what he alludes to. He says, baptism and the Lord's Supper. I mean, Daniel already did a great job of highlighting how the Lord's Supper does that. When, when he says baptism, it takes me to, to that passage in, in Titus, which if you've hung out with me for the past year, you know Titus 3 is like one of my favorite passages. But this, this language of the Spirit who, who washes and regenerates and renews uh, the members of the body, right? So, so our union, the reason that we are one is because we all have the Spirit. Romans 8, 8 and 8 verse 9 says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So this is where our unity comes from. And why does Paul start highlighting this point? Well, it is because if we are convinced that the person you have next to you is part of the body of Christ, and it is, is part of the body of Christ with you, then that has to, has to change the way that you view them, and it has to change the way that we interact and, and live amongst one another. Uh, Spurgeon uh, said it this way when he was talking about George Herbert. George Herbert was a guy that he bumped heads with, um, of all things, of, in, in, in the way that they viewed how the church was supposed to function and be set up. And so he says this of George Herbert. He says, where the Spirit of God is, there must be love. And if I have once known and recognized any man, 
to be my brother in Christ Jesus, the love of Christ constraineth me no more to think of him as a stranger or a foreigner, but a fellow citizen and saint. Now I hate high churchism as my soul hates Satan. Yeah, it's pretty intense words. Um, but I love George Herbert, although George Herbert is desperately a high churchman. I hate high churchism, but I love George Herbert from my very soul. And I have a warm corner in my heart for every man who is like him. Let me find a man who loves my Lord Jesus Christ as George Herbert did. And I do not ask myself whether I shall love him or not. There is no room for question, for I cannot help myself unless I can leave off loving Jesus Christ. I cannot cease loving those who love him. So nothing else should be our barometer of who is in Christ, but the spirit dwelling within them. And in the same way, this has to affect how we view and see other people. And we know that there is one body, right? So, we, so this idea of wanting to divide, oh, you're not part of the body of Christ because you don't have the same exact spiritual gift that I do. That's why he's trying to ground this on the unity of the body of Christ. This is severe. This is, this is not something that we should be doing lightly. And we know that Christ cares about this. In Ephesians 5, 29 through 30, look at what it says. It says, no one hates his own body, but lovingly cares for it, just as Christ cares for his body, the church, of which we are parts. So Jesus cares about his body, so should we. And what's really interesting is when we think about Paul, who is writing these words, right, he would have a very specific connection with this understanding of, of, of Jesus identifying with his body that is the church, right? If, if you're familiar, in, in the book of Acts, right, Saul goes to the synagogue, right? And, or actually, he goes to the high priest, and he's asking them for letters to the synagogue in Damascus because he wants to go find Christians who are there, right, and to bring them back to Jerusalem for judgment, right? And so uh, he's on his way to Damascus, and he all of a sudden has this encounter with a, with a bright light, and he falls to the ground, and he hears a voice. What does the voice tell him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yet what's really interesting is the very beginning of the passage tells us who he's actually going to persecute, men and women who belong to the church, right? And so when he is presented with this voice, he says, who are you, Lord? And listen to what Jesus says to him. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So Saul is very, and Paul is very aware of this idea that Jesus right there in front of him is identifying himself with his body, which is the church. He doesn't say, why are you persecuting the people who are following me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting the people who believe in me in Damascus? He's saying, why are you persecuting me? And so he identifies with his church and he doesn't, that, that didn't just stop with the church in Damascus, right? Like, this is still true today. I, I was, as I was processing through this, I'm like, man, wouldn't I be wiser and maybe take more time thinking when I'm, when I'm so quick to, to divide and, and separate within the church if I heard the voice of Jesus telling me, like, David, David, why are you dividing me? Right? Like, it would, it would make me take a second look as to what I am dividing with other people over, and before you go off the extreme and say, well, 
David just doesn't want us to say when something is wrong and, and, and through orthodoxy out the door. I promise you that is not the case. If you know me, you know I care very deeply about doctrine and I care very deeply about truth. But as we've seen in this letter, Paul and God are trying to make this point to us that many times the things we divide with other people over, even within the church, are not things that God thinks are worthy of dividing his body over. And and there definitely is. There are definitely lines that Scripture makes very clear are true, and there's no arguing with it. But what we see is our natural inclination as human beings is to just find ways to divide with one another. And I don't think I'm I don't think I have to make that case to anybody here, right? Like if you've lived with other human beings for any period of time, you know we're really good at finding things to divide over and argue about. If you don't know that or don't believe that, I dare you to download Twitter for more than 15 minutes and then come back and disagree with me. But so so now that he's established, that we've established this, this concept of the church is supposed to be one because we are the body of Christ and, and that establishes the severity of what he's going to discuss. We see why this was such a big deal, what was going on in the Corinthian church because these spiritual gifts were given and are given to build up the church and instead they're using them to divide one another and, and as a badge of, oh, I'm a real Christian because um, I have the gift of tongues or I'm a real Christian because I have the gift of teaching and you don't. Um, and he's saying, you guys are using the gifts completely wrong. They're meant to build up the church. You're dividing them. And if we truly believe that all believers are member of the body, are members of the body of Christ, then we have to believe that all members are valuable. Right? Like I don't think anybody here would say, Oh, I think part of Jesus Christ isn't really valuable. Like his arms are not that great. Um, nobody would, would think that. But that's, that's kind of what his analogy goes on in the second point. So all members are valuable. Before we get into this point, though, I want you to try something. If you have a pen in your hand and are already writing notes, you're going to be my guinea pigs for this. I want you to keep the pen in your hand, and I want you to just grab it with just your middle three fingers. So don't use your pinky. Don't use your thumb. If your pinky or your thumb touches the pen, you lose. Um, and I want you to just try to write, like, your name on something. That's what my handwriting looks like. Um, no, no, all, all, all seriousness. You probably can still do it. I'm an occupational therapist by trade, so I know you can form a functional tripod grasp with just three fingers, but it feels weird, right? If, if I said, okay, now you have to write a 1,600-word essay in 25 minutes, that would probably hinder how effectively you can do it, right? And so as, as silly of an example as this is, right, it, it's, I want it to, to become real because the, that's what he's trying to do with this analogy of the human body. He's trying to help them understand this concept and see how it practically works out. So he uses this analogy to address the issues of division within the Corinthian church. So he's trying to address two major issues, and that's what I'm going to kind of go over within this section. Okay, the first is individuals within the church who were thinking that uh, they did not have value because of the spiritual giftings that they did not have, okay? Um, and so they were saying, oh, I don't have the spiritual gift of tongues, or I don't have the spiritual gift of teaching, or I don't have the spiritual gift of administration, as I see other people have it, so I have no value, okay? So he's trying to address that issue. And then the other issue that he was trying to address is individuals in the church 
who are puffing themselves up because of the spiritual giftings that they have received, right? They're saying, oh, I have the gift of administration. I mean, this church doesn't run if I'm not here. You know, I think of like, I think of like Theo. Theo, if you, if you've hung out, I hung out with Theo once for like a full day. And I don't think there's a human being on planet earth that does more than Theo in a 24 hour period. And, and like, I could see how it'd be very easy for him to get puffed up and just think, wow, if I was not here, Aletheia church would be on fire. And that's probably a true statement. Um, Or somebody else like, oh, I'm, I have the gift of teaching. So, you know, they might be thinking, oh, I, people come up here to, to hear me talk. Like, th- th- that's not what the church is, right? But um, it can be very easy for someone to puff themselves up because of the gifts that they have. So he's trying to address both of those extreme issues um, with the same analogy. So let's tackle the first, the first uh, issue with what he tells them. So for those who think they lack value because they don't have a certain gift, he tells them, that God has actually designed his body, okay? That God himself has a purpose for their spiritual gift within the church. And that that purpose is to build up the body, to make much of Jesus, and to spread the gospel. And he doesn't stop there. He tells them that they have been given honor. The parts that lacked it have actually been given honor. God is the one who is honoring you, not if other people think what you're doing is super important or are, are giving you raving reviews or, or are, are clapping or not. And he appeals to this idea of, of common sense within the body, and he tells them, you know, just think to yourself, if, if everybody was an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if we really take that to its conclusion, right, it would, if everybody had the same exact spiritual gift, right, what he is saying is the church would be a monster, right? Like, I love my wife's eyes. I have never in my entire life looked at her and said, wow, she would be amazing if she was just a bunch of eyeballs. <laughs> like, that thought has never crossed my mind. But that's what he's saying. He's like, when you view other gifts and, and see like, oh, if, I, if we all just had that, my life would be better. He's saying, you're wrong, it would be a monstrosity. The, the, the body works as it is meant to because God has designed it that way. And I know there, there might be some people here today who feel that same way. Oh, I don't have the same gifting that this person has, so God can't use me. Even in the areas where I feel like I have a spiritual gift, there's somebody else who has it more, so to speak, Right? Like, I, I think I'm like, you know, if you, if you come to Aletheia Church and you are gifted in, like, hospitality, like, good luck, because Brent Smith exists, <laughs> right? And, like, if you compare yourself to Brent Smith, you're going to be like, I, God doesn't need me at Aletheia Church, right? But, like, if you go ask Brent Smith, what is he going to tell you? Like, he absolutely does. You need to come alongside of me, right? Because we need more people to do this. So, He's trying to, to help them understand that. And what, what I would say to you today is what you do is valuable, okay? Don't let comparison be the thief of your joy and the thief of the opportunity to be a part of a functioning body, which is the church. 
So he addresses that first issue, and then he tries to address the second issue as well. And as, if you'll see, I'm kind of pulling text from all parts of the section, because what we're going to see is both extremes arise from the same underlying issue. We're going to get to that. But, but to, so to the people who are puffing themselves up, right, I already gave the examples of like people with like gifts of administration and teaching how easily it can be to like puff yourselves up. He says, um, he rebukes them, right? And he makes the same, you know, the same case. God has actually arranged the body. And so you can't tell another part of the body that they're not valuable, like that they don't matter. That makes no sense. You are part of the body and you are trying to tell part of yourself that it doesn't have value. He's like, that makes, that, that makes no logical sense, right? When we view it in the idea of the body, he's like, this is the same thing that you're doing. If you see another believer and their spiritual gift and you think that has no value, you're basically telling on yourself. You're, you're saying, I don't have value. And he's like, that's not, you got, it, you got it all wrong. And I love, 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 love that he uses the term seems. He says, those who seem weaker, right, are actually indispensable, right? They're necessary, and the reason I love that he uses the word seems is because things are not what they seem. You guys are supposed to say that out loud. Um, anyways, but, but we understand that, right? We know that, we know that in, at face value, something can look one way and be very, very different. And so in this, by the way, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you should be very aware that oftentimes our assumptions, we come to Scripture and God says, yeah, that's actually just not how I view things. That's just not how I see things. And the issue there is not with Scripture and with God. It's with us. We have to be willing to come to Scripture and be changed and be molded um, into what it is telling us. So he says they, that these, these other individuals might seem like they're weaker, but they're actually indispensable. So he's trying to make the case to them, you know, God doesn't necessarily need you, but he wants to use you. So don't let the spiritual gifting that he has given you puff you up and lead you to tear other people down. So, and this is, I, I do want to address this idea that, that when, it, when it says it seems like our, our tendency is to naturally want to rank spiritual gifts, right? Like if you're sitting here, you probably already have, like based on your either life experiences or what you think is, is important, you probably already have a list in your mind like, oh, like I'm a very uh, didactic learner, so like teaching is at the very top of the list for me. Someone's like, oh, I'm like very like, uh, you know, I, I love, uh, I grew up in a big family, so like hospitality, like if you have the gift of hospitality, you're at the top of the list for me, right? And so we all form these hierarchies, and we're actually going to see that God's hierarchy is very different as to what his purpose is. Um, but what we need to do is come to Scripture and be willing to let that mold us, right? Because God doesn't see things the same way we do. I think of the example of the prophet Samuel, right? He got to choose like the, uh, to anoint the first two kings of Israel. And he, the first king he anoints is King Saul, right? And like King Saul just fit the bill for king. He was head and shoulders above everybody else, just like, just poster boy for what you want a king to look like. So he chooses him. If you haven't read it, they have a kind of a falling out. Um, things don't go that great. It says by the end that Samuel actually regrets to have ever making Saul king. Um, but what's really interesting is 
when God sends him to the house of Jesse to choose the second king, right, uh, God at least tells him where, where he's going to find the king. He shows up, and you would think he's already, like, learned from his mistake, like, okay, I'm not going to just choose the first tallest person I see. I'm not going to choose the first tallest person I see. Um, and what, what happens in 1 Samuel 16, 6 through 7, as soon as Eliab, who's, by the way, the oldest and probably the tallest, walks in, he says, surely the Lord's anointed must be before me. It's like, dude, did you not learn anything? And look at what God, what God tells him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And this doesn't just end there, right? Like in, in, in the Gospels, everybody was like obsessed with asking Jesus like, hey, who's going to be like the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like they just were re- very, very like concerned with this because, you know, our, our, our earthly minds just go to like hierarchy. We want like, all right, I want to be the best. I want to be at the top. And look at what Jesus replies to them in, in Matthew 18 verse 4. It says, actually, whoever who humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure, that was not like if, if, uh, if, if they took a poll like, that would have not been in the top three answers for anybody. And what's really interesting is, like, now we, like, kind of, like, glorify kids. We think they're, like, amazing. Um, in Jesus' time, like, kids were just useless. Like, they were, like, they can't really farm yet. They can't really do much. Um, they just did not have a high view of them. And so what he's basically saying is, like, you have to humble yourself. Whoever who, who's most humble is going to be the highest in the kingdom of heaven. And you're, like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. That's the point. That is the point, that God does not view things, does not view us the way that we view ourselves. So we want to come to Scripture and be corrected. Because the, the gifts had one purpose, okay? And that is to build each other up, build up the church, and uh, to unify the church. But instead, like we saw, they were using them to divide. And many of you probably have reached this point and you're like, yeah, but like that sounds like something that's like really ancient. I don't really know if we do that anymore. I don't think that happens, right? Like I would say it definitely still happens. I mean, a couple examples that came to, to my mind is like even within the church, right? Like it might be very easy to elevate your service area. Oh, you should really come serve with like first impressions. That's a, that's a plug for me because we lead the first impression group. But, but uh, oh, you should come serve with the first impression group because we're just like, we're like the best. We, we, we just... When people leave here, they feel welcome. They feel, uh, you just need to serve with us. Or, or Josh is like, oh, no, you have to come serve with the worship team because that's what people really come here to see, right? Um, so it, it, it can be very easy to still, to still, even within our minds, create this hierarchy of our service teams. Or I know we have a lot of uh, young people here from the university. It might be very easy to do this with, like, your campus ministry, oh, you really got to come to crew. Like, we are so gifted in the area of teaching. Like, we're just the best. We have the best. Like, if you want to be a knowledgeable Christian, this is where, where you come. Or, oh, no, you got to come to the BCM. Like, we are just so hospitable. Like, I don't know if I'm, like, saying things wrong, by the way. I, I, I have no, no dog in the fight. I am way past, co- past college. I'm very old. So, um, but, but, but we can see how it's very easy to just, like, <laughs> if I find anybody with that last statement, I'm sorry. Um, sorry, my parents are in the front row, so I know that they're probably getting offended. Um, but but it, you can see how even within the way we talk about our specific 
areas of service or ministry, um, it can be very easy to want to create this hierarchy. And what we start to realize is that instead of building up the body and letting it function as it's supposed to and work together, what we're doing is just tearing it apart one, by, one piece by one piece. And we're actually hindering the purpose of all of this, right? And this is why it's so wrong and important, okay? Because it tears apart the body of Christ and it impedes the advancement of the gospel. Now, you might ask yourself, why? Well, you see, the unity of the church is crucial to the mission of the church. Listen to that again. The unity of the church is crucial to the mission of the church. In John 17, 21, it says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that you also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So this affects the effectiveness of our gospel message. And I, I said that they both end up having the same underlying issue. So we're going to kind of address that now, right? The, and it's where they find their identity or where they find their value or where they find why they are actually parts of the body of Christ, right? The first group is finding their identity in what they don't have. Oh, I don't have spiritual gift of tongues, so I'm not part of the body or I'm not valuable. I don't have any honor. The other is finding their identity in the spiritual gift that they do have. Oh, I have the gift of teaching, so I have to be, I, for sure, I'm, I'm, I'm the most powerful Christian there is, right? And so what they're doing is they're finding their, their value and their identity in the gift, not the giver, okay? So the solution that we are offered in today's passage is realizing that our honor the, and, and our value come from Christ. He is who honors his body. And, and that, that, that comes, like I said, from the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is the one who really helps clarify this. I, I think it was, very, it was very appropriate that Kevin went into a kind of a hiatus and took a break from 1 Corinthians and talked about the Holy Spirit. Because as we're going to see, the role of the Holy Spirit really helps clarify what the roles of the gifts of the Spirit are, okay? So the first point I want to make is that the Spirit reminds us who we are, okay? In Romans 8, 15 through 17, it says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So you see, our identity and our value are found not in what spiritual gift we possess, but instead in our union with Christ as children of God, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. But it doesn't just end there, okay? The, the Spirit also, the Spirit's function also helps us clarify what specific roles the gifts are supposed to have. So uh, Kevin spoke about John 16 last week. I'm going to go just through one verse, and I really just 
want to highlight one of the roles that we see of the Spirit there. In John 16, 14 through 15, it says, uh, He will glorify me, for he will, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And I want to highlight that very first section right there. He will glorify me. So we know that one of the Spirit's missions is that he is about making much of Jesus, right? That, that word there, glorify, magnify, is to make much of Jesus. So if we know that that is one of the roles of the Spirit, to make much of Jesus, then it would logically make sense if what was the goal of spiritual gifts? To make much of Jesus. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you will be focused on making much of Jesus and not focus on being made much of yourself, okay? And, and he goes on to basically say, you know, like, what better way to do this than to use your spiritual gifts, whichever one you, you have, to build up his body with your gifts. And you might, be, you might be wondering at this point, like, okay, but like, what does this practically look like? Like, what, what is this, what is the outworking of this? And he, he goes into that in verses 25 and 26. It says, That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. He says, well, just like in the body, you have to reflexively care about one another. Okay, and I use the word reflexively on purpose. If you, like, hit your toe seven times, right, like on whatever, your bed or your couch or the table or whatever you have in your house that you run into often. Like at no point do you say, hmm, I wonder if I should feel that pain this time. You know, it's kind of been six times already. I think that's enough for me. No, you, you at least like scream, probably use more colorful language, and at least look at your foot to make sure your toe is still attached, right? And so he's saying, like, if, you, if this is true, then you're going to reflexively care for other believers, okay? And again, this is super, super trippy, because if you go to Romans 12, this same, like, flow you're going to find of spiritual gifts being different, yet united through one spirit, yet flowing into acts of kindness to one another, and all of this being possible through love, I'm only going to get to acts of kindness today pretty much because Daniel has that whole big old chapter 13 um, that we love to use and misuse at weddings. Um, so he's going to address that next week. I'm not going to do any of that. But look at what Romans 12, 9 through 13 says. And this is after the, the, the passages that we read earlier. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the need of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What is, what is clear both in the passage of 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12 that we cannot claim to be a part of the body and not care about it. 
just not an option. And this takes many different forms, right? Like the same way that there are many different spiritual gifts, what you might be called to do might be very different than the person that's sitting next to you, right? Like even just sitting here, like you think, okay, somebody here set this place up. Somebody here is watching the kids. Somebody here uh, set up the hospitality stuff in, in the front. Somebody here is working audio. Somebody, like I, I hopefully this is not a, a surprise to you. I prepared a lot for this, uh, for this this morning. So like we all play a part to it. And I, I feel like many might think, yeah, but like what I do, nobody knows. Like nobody knows my name. Nobody knows what I do. Um, and what I think is, is encouraging about this passage is that we're being told that many people might not know about what you do for the body, but God knows. And I think of the example of the tabernacle craftsmen in, in Exodus 31. These, these dudes just literally used the giftings that they had, and that's it. And their names live on in Scripture because they were faithful to what God had called them to do and asked of them. And when we do this and we use our gifts appropriately together, all God sees is, is the body of Christ functioning as it should. And that's glorious. That's what he wants. So all, all members uh, have a gift, right? We're all, all members are valuable. We kind of address that. So it's really important that you don't neglect your gift. And that's, that's the practical ending of uh, verses 27 through 31. We're going to address a few points here. But what leads is, that, is this call, what it starts with. Now, you are the body of Christ. Okay? If you've been sitting here this morning and all of your thoughts have been about the person next to you or the friend in your, in your house, and you're like, oh, man. This guy's so gifted in this and he just doesn't use it. If like that's where your thought has been all morning, verse 27 says, hey, no, 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 no. This is about you. I, I want to talk to you this morning you, because you are part of, you are the body of Christ. Okay? And he lists all these offices and gifts, we've, which we've addressed some. And he goes on to ask all these like rhetorical questions, right? Like, do all have this gift? Do all have this office? And like, the answer is like clearly like no, right? So he's trying to make the case like, you are part of the body. You are not the whole body, okay? And to some people, that might seem like really bad. They might be like, well, who's Paul to tell me I can't have every single gift of the Spirit and have every single office. He's like, well, unless like your name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he, I think he can pretty clearly tell you that that's the case. And he, he's making this point because this should be comforting to us. Wow, the church does not depend on you, okay? You get the opportunity to use your gift and to build up the church but the church ultimately depends on Christ and the Spirit, right? Like when Jesus says that not even the gates of hell will overtake his church, he's not banking on David Dominguez in 2022. Like that's not what he's like, oh, I'm very confident because you, you got to see this guy, David, right? Like, like that's not what's going through his mind. 
He is very sure of why he can make that statement, and it's not either one of us. But again, I don't want that to seem like it should devalue you. It should just bring you comfort, okay? And we know that everybody within the church is going to have a gift. If you're here sitting here today and you're like, well, like, I don't even know if I have any gifts, David. Like, you don't want to say that out loud. I get it. Well, 1 Peter 4.10 tells us that we all have a gift. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we're going to have a time in a, in a second to kind of go into reflection, but we're not there yet. I don't want them to, like, turn off the lights on me. Um, <laughs> and... And to, to kind of like process and try to think through some of these uh, questions of like, what spiritual gifts do I have? What spiritual gifts do I see in people around me that I'm thankful for? Um, which is definitely like something that you, you should do, right? Like I, I tell my wife like all the time, there's like so many things that I see. Like I'm like, she is very gifted in, in the area of administration. And I, I tell her because hopefully she knows that, but maybe she's just like, oh, I thought this is how everybody was. And it's like, then she meets me who's like, doesn't know what he's doing this afternoon, much less next week. And she's like, wait, you don't have that in your calendar? I'm like, what is a calendar? Um, so I, I think there is value in one, confirming gifts in other people and encouraging them when you see that they have a specific gift. But he ends this section after telling them like, hey, you're going to have a gift, but you're not going to have them all. By telling them that they should desire a higher, the, the higher gifts, okay? And so chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is going to address this head on. So if you want like the full spiel discussion of that, come that day. But I'm just going to kind of highlight the basics of it so that you don't leave here thinking, wow, David stinks. He just left us on a huge cliffhanger. To make this as simple as possible, okay, the higher gift is a gift that builds up or edifies the church the most. So if you're ever asking yourself X versus Y gift, which is higher, which builds up the church the most, that's your answer every single time. It's almost like the point is not the specific gift, but the building up of the body. I hope we're kind of seeing that trend. Look at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 4 through 5. The issue that they were asking is the, the X and Y was, okay, so gifts of tongues or prophecy, which is more, which is the higher gift? Well, in 1 Corinthians 14, 4 through 5, it says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Very straightforward. He's like, oh, this builds up more people, builds up more of the church? Of course, it's just more valuable. Like that's the point of the gifts is to build up the church. It's not which specific gift it is, which like I said, it's very different than probably the way we view. We want to put everything into like boxes and hierarchies based on our own experiences. So, this is the way that God builds up his church. This is the way that the gospel gets spread, right? Like if you ask people, hey, how did you come to like know the Lord, right? Everybody doesn't just say, oh, I was like listening to this like 
uh, 12, uh, sermon, 12 sermon series on Romans 8, and that just really did it for me. Oftentimes, what people will say is, oh, there was this like group of Christians who just showed me love and affection and hospitality that I hadn't seen anywhere else. I, I went to church and I saw all these people that looked different, had different giftings, were good at different things, yet were all united, not doing things out of uh, just, just their own desires to be made much of, but because they wanted to make much of God. It was, it was the craziest thing, right? Like, like, this is what God uses to advance his kingdom. And so we should be faithful in using our spiritual gifts. And I want to kind of close, close this, this part with something that Kevin, Kevin talks about a lot and is, you know, we should focus on both the indicative, not just the imperative, right? Like the imperative this morning is use your spiritual gift, okay? You should do that to build up the church. Like not by bringing yourself up and making yourself more important than other people or by tearing other people down or by tearing yourself down. You should just use it selflessly to build up the church. But that is only after we realize the indicative that that is we are already parts of the body of Christ. We are already members and out of that is that we use our gifts and we can use them appropriately. If not, then it, it's no, no surprise that the Corinthian church were finding their identity in the gifts that they had or didn't have, right? If you, don't, if you don't set the foundation of your identity as part of a member in the body of Christ, you're gonna try to fill that gap with other things, you know, like hobbies, your job, your significant other, and even the gifts that you have or don't have. That's what we see in this, in this uh, passage. So, lastly, he says, I will show you a much better way. So, this is where I do a little softball toss, because Daniel's going to come and hit this out of the park next week, um, hopefully. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No pressure, Daniel. Um, and, and the much better way, as we'll see, obviously, is, is love, right? And when you think about Daniel's sermon next week as you're processing what he's saying, I want you to think like, is that what my use of my gifts looks like? You know, do I use my spiritual gifts not being boastful, not being prideful, not seeking my own, but actually looking to just make much of Jesus and building up his church? So think about that next week. This is what I'll conclude with. Spiritual gifts are given to build up the body of Christ, not to divide us. If we practically live this out, we'll be a church who welcomes differences in spiritual gifts, be different in class, race, but find our unity in our status as equal members of Christ. And all of our goals will be to build up the church and advance the gospel.